Welcome to Fostering Wildflowers. I'm your host, Christy Harris. This is episode one, Back to the Beginning. A quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Hi, everyone, and welcome. So when I thought about creating a podcast, I thought, okay, there's so many things that have happened over the past 10 plus years. Where where do I start? What do I even talk about? And um, I kind of thought the perfect place was from the beginning. So I just want to get into this first episode um, that I'm super excited about and just start from the beginning of explaining the best that I can about our why and how this whole journey came to be. So um, with that, let's get started. So my husband and I met at Walmart. I was 19 and he was 26. And I know what you're thinking. That's, you know, seven years age difference. But let me just tell you, whenever I first met Daniel, I thought that he was like 15 or 16. Um, I was a cashier and he worked at the accounting office. And I seen him all the time walking around the store like crazy, like running all over the place, back and forth. I always thought, why do they have that young kid working here? Is he here on some sort of like study program? Is he in training, doing a, a work to study internship or something? And I could never figure it out. So uh, when I finally introduced myself, um, I kind of just asked him, like, aren't you a little young to be working here? <laughs> Shouldn't you be in school? And he's like, um, I'm 26. I thought there is no way that this kid in front of me is 26 years old. If I'm 19, there's no way he's 26. And then he pulled out his wallet, showed me his ID. And sure enough, he, he was 26, even though I was still a little, I was not a hundred percent convinced at the time. <laughs> so that was our funny beginning. Um, after that began a friendship and then, uh, we dated, for a while. Our first date was right after Thanksgiving. And then we were married the following year in July. So um, we had a really quick um, courtship, I guess you would say. And, you know, we settled into being newlyweds uh, pretty quickly. So um, we had plans just like anyone else does when they're first married and all these ideas of what we would do by house get a dog, have 2.5 children, <laughs> all of these, all of the, the things that um, families think about when they're just starting their new life. 
And it, it wasn't too much longer afterwards that we found out that, okay, that that dream that you're wanting um, to be a family and raise children may not look like what you have in your mind. Um, we were not prepared for um, what, you know, the, the bomb that was getting ready to be dropped just a few months after we were married. Um, I don't think any family um, is prepared for it. And we found out very quickly that life doesn't always go according to our plans. And that sometimes the plan <laughs> that we can't see directly in front of us is a lot bigger than anything that we could ever imagine. So um, it was it was a challenging first five years, to say the least. So there was a lot of things that at the time I didn't pay attention to. Um, I was just getting to know my husband. So I didn't really know what was normal for him and what wasn't normal for him. Um, I did know that he looked very young. His skin is very pale and he's, he seemed to be really tired a lot. Um, I just thought that was his normal. I didn't pay much attention to it. And then, you know, about six months into our marriage, he started getting headaches and, you know, we, he was just 26 years old. We didn't think anything about it. He would just take some Tylenol and, uh, you know, his headache would go away. And, and that was that. And then around probably March, um, he started having some dizziness. Um, he would have a headache and then he would get dizzy and he would say that his fingers and, and toes would go numb. So we took him to the emergency room they would tell us things like he was having panic attacks or he had vertigo, sinus infections. Uh, we we heard everything, every reason. And so they would just send him home and, you know, we would take the vertigo medicine for a week and we would say, okay, it's, it's going away. It's getting better. So that must be it. Uh, you know, but these episodes kept happening and I felt like they were getting more frequently, um, frequently occurring. So uh, one evening he came home from work and he was talking about things that he was seeing like ash falling from the sky and he thought it was snowing. And I just remember him being so sick and he was on his lunch break from Walmart. I said, that's it. We're going back to the hospital. So after several times taking him to the ER, I took him back again and again, they checked his blood pressure and said vertigo, sinus infections, all this stuff. And I finally was like, you know, we've been here a few times. I'm not sure that that's really what's going on. And they said, well, to be safe, we'll send you to a neurologist. So that was the plan. A couple weeks later, he's in to see the neurologist. And we sit down, talk to him, and the neurologist looks at us and says, you know what, guys, I don't see really anything to be concerned about. I've been doing this a long time. I really think you're having panic attacks. But just to be safe, let's schedule an MRI. 
and I'll, you know, I'll get back to you, but I really just think that you're having panic attacks. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. So we went home pretty, I was pretty happy with that. Oh yeah, it's panic attacks. See, like what I said, I told you that it wasn't anything to be worried about, but he was more concerned. He said, I don't really think that's what a panic attack feels like. This feels different. So a couple weeks later, he's scheduled for his MRI and he was sick that day. I can remember what I ate. I can remember uh, specifically what we did that day because he was so sick and he didn't want to go to his MRI. He's like, you know, the doctor said it was panic attacks. How about we just don't go? We skip it and I'm sure I'm fine. Like, nope, you finally have this appointment. You're going, let's just get it over with. So that's, that's what we did. We went over, had his MRI, and I just remember waiting for what seemed like a very, very long time. I remember thinking, man, it has been an unusually long time that he's been back there in that MRI. I didn't think that they usually took that long. It was well over an hour. And... I was getting nervous. Of course, at that time, I didn't think there was anything serious or anything at all what we were getting ready to be told um, several hours later. But finally, he comes out of the MRI and says, okay, um, they want me to go straight to the hospital. They're admitting me. Um, The doctor will meet us over there and they'll tell us what's going on. And all of the feelings just that hit me at that point. Here I was, 20 years old, um, my husband, 27 years old, facing some really scary, uncertain stuff. It was it was terrifying. So we get, we get over to the hospital. And I remember calling the people I worked with at that time, which were nurses at hospice. And I was asking them, uh, where's the pituitary located? Daniel has something going on. They're sending us to the hospital. um, And it's something involving his pituitary. Where's that at? And none of them wanted to tell me. They were like, well, why not just wait for the doctor? I'm sure it's nothing serious. Um, nobody wanted to answer me. And this was back before the age of smartphones. So Googling it was not an option. Had it been, I would have already Googled it and known for myself what was going on. Uh, So we were kind of at the mercy of just waiting for someone to tell us. Um, But after being checked in the hospital, we waited for an agonizing five hours for the doctor to finally show up and explain what exactly was going on and and how our lives were getting ready to change. Um, you know, we were told that um, he had a, an extremely large brain tumor and they thought it was a craniopharyngioma and they wanted to operate um, immediately the next day. They wanted to go in 
get it out of there and, um, you know, save the day. Uh, but we did have another doctor that came in and said, you know, take some time. This is, this is a pretty, a pretty massive surgery, uh, that they're wanting to do. And it might do you well to get a second opinion or a third opinion for that matter. So we were set up an appointment in Columbus a, a couple of weeks after, and we seen a, a very talented surgeon there who was talented and wise enough to tell us uh, that he did not feel comfortable um, doing the surgery. And had we let our local surgeon do it, they probably would have killed him. Um, so we were very thankful that the surgeon that we met with had told us, you know, I'm not comfortable doing this, but I think you need to see someone at Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic, and they, they're probably better equipped to handle something like this. So on my birthday, <laughs> on my 21st birthday, we were um, sitting in the waiting room at Cleveland Clinic finding out, you know, what the plan was for my husband um, and this massively scary, unpredictable brain tumor. So uh, we were sitting there and I just remember our family was with us. We had all made the journey <laughs> to find out what was going on. And, you know, we met with several surgeons. Uh, they, they assembled a whole team and they had talked to us about, you know, it, the surgery they wanted to do. And I will never forget and what that surgeon said. And he said, from this moment on, you will never be tumor free. You will always be living with your, your life is about to be a roller coaster ride. You're going to have ups and downs and ups and downs. But one thing is certain is that you will always have this tumor. Um, it was inoperable. And um, that was kind of that. We, you know, the plan was not to try and take it all, but to take a part of it to try and preserve his vision. So that's what they did. Uh, six weeks later, we come back for a checkup. And it turns out that that tumor had grown back, the pesky little thing. Um, although it wasn't malignant, it liked to behave like it was. <laughs> so it, it had grown back. They went in, did another surgery, came back again six weeks later, and um, it had grown back again, not as large. So they felt like radiation was the next was the next step. So they scheduled him for some special radiation that that could only be done in Cleveland. And we packed our bags and moved to Cleveland. Um, luckily, we were able to stay at the, the American Cancer Society Hope Lodge. And um, they transported us back and forth to um, his appointments at Cleveland clinic and back to the lodge, which was really close to Little Italy. Uh, that was an experience in itself. So, you know, uh, life, life was pretty, pretty hectic. And then we found out it was, it was getting ready to, to change again.
about a week into his radiation, um, Daniel became very, very sick. Um, and he wasn't able to get out of bed. His legs were hurting. He told me then that he felt like that his bones were broken. And at that time, I just thought it was probably from a fever. Um, he was really sick, so it was probably just body aches. Um, but I do remember having to put him in a, a wheelchair to get him to our car and then to take him to the hospital. And we found out that he had developed pneumonia and he was being admitted. And uh, that soon after, while he was in the hospital, they discovered that he had a bone disease. It was called um, avascular necrosis. And this this is something that happens uh, when you're taking some pretty hefty steroids, which he had been doing for a period of time of about a month after he was diagnosed. They wanted to get that swelling down in his brain. And it's a very, <laughs> very, very rare side effect, but it was a very unfortunate side effect that he did get, and it hit him really hard. So um, while he was in the hospital, you know, they did another MRI and discovered that it had affected his both of his hips and his knees, and that his, his hips were mostly gone, and um, what it does is attacks um, the joints of your body and prevents blood circulation from getting to, to your joints. So essentially it, it kills them. Um, and then your, your bones just crumble. And that's over the period of just a month, that's what happened. You know, his, his bones had just crumbled. And so uh, not long after, they were scheduling some hip surgeries for him. And, you know, that's when they also thought it would be a really good idea for us to meet with a fertility specialist. So uh, that was, that was um, about, you know, the first week, I guess, into his radiation, um, they had us meet with a fertility specialist and said that, um, you know, due to the radiation, um, that can affect fertility and especially in someone with his type of tumor. So we, we seen that doctor, we knew that we had always wanted to be parents together. Um, and that that was something that we definitely wanted to look into. So we seen, we seen that doctor and then he gave us the, you know, a huge bomb, which, you know, a year into our marriage was, um, all right, guys, your, your idea for traditional <laughs> parenting is not a realistic one. It's not going to happen. Um, the tumor has done a number on his reproductive system and, you know, that's not going to be something that's possible for you all. So, um, we were, that, that was a moment, a really hard moment in our lives that, you know, then it, it was hurt, so hurtful. And the pain was really just the final blow on top of the brain tumor, on top of the bone disease. 
now we're now we can't be parents we can't build our family like it was it was devastating um so you know there was a lot of things that were really uncertain then but i remember that <laughs> you know he promised me uh, then just because we can't have a traditional family doesn't mean that there's not other ways that we can be parents together. So that was an idea that we just kind of uh, put on the shelf and, and we came back to it later. Skipping ahead a few years, um, three brain surgeries, seven weeks of radiation, four hip surgeries, two total hip replacements in about a year of um, physical therapy later. We were finally in a place in our lives that we felt, you know, he's pretty stable. Life is getting to our new normal. And, you know, let's start looking at this. Let's start looking at at what it what it may take for us to start growing our family. So <laughs> we reach out to some people in that I had known that had done foster care before. And I just start asking people questions like, I know you're foster parents. I know you adopted through the foster care system. What was that like for you? Um, and after talking to a, a handful of people, I was terrified, for one, um, of getting my heart completely ripped out of my chest. <laughs> and for two, just what what would I experience? And was I was I cut out to do what seemed like that impossible task? Um, you know, I, I knew that my husband and I had already been through so much in our first few years of marriage um, that, you know, I felt like that we could, we could take on anything. We were the ultimate team and, and we were ready to take on the world. Um, but it was still really terrifying. Um, we looked into different adoption agencies and, you know, that wasn't anything, um, of course, with large <laughs> medical bills, um, adoption through an agency was not something that was going to be, um, that wasn't going to be a part of our plan. So um, we contacted a local foster care advocacy um, agency called For Jamie's Sake. And I told him, you know, we were considering fostering and what information could they give us to help us make this choice. So they sent us out a packet. And I remember looking through all these packets <laughs> and seeing all these different agencies, there was one that stood out to me, and it was NECO. I remember opening it up, and the slogan out on the front said, we build families. Well, check mark, that's what we're looking for. We were looking to build our fa- We were looking to build our family. Then I got to look at, you know, what, what their agency was founded on and the the principles of of this agency were just amazing you know they wanted 
children to experience joy every day. And it, it was this thing called the, the Hobbes principles. And they wanted us to, uh, to make sure our, our children were included in, um, rituals such as, you know, Christmas and holidays and, and that they have experienced joy in their life and, and that they live for the now and just all these things like I'm reading and I'm getting excited thinking, Oh, this place looks amazing. This is what we want. This is what we want to build our family. Like this, this is, this is real deal right here. So (laughs) I'm all excited. My husband is just, he is a trooper and he is just hanging in there along with my idea. Nervous as can be at this time. Um, I think he thought I was probably half crazy. Um, (laughs) but he, he said he was willing to try it. And, and so uh, we went and filled out our paperwork and started taking classes and did the fingerprints and the background checks and all this stuff. So, um, we fast forward several months and, and now we're to spring of 2010 <laughs> and our home is open. We're officially open for, to, you know, to take children in and we were scared. <laughs> we were unsure. I remember all these ideas that I had in my mind, um, At that time, we only wanted like two children. We wanted them to be under the age of seven. Um, You know, no major behavior issues. Just all of these these, uh, limits that we had set in place. And, you know, and that's fine. It's fine to have those limits. Every family is different. And every person wants different things. And I just remember if, if wanting that experience to, to grow our family and start, you know, f- start from the beginning or as early as we could from the beginning um, to start growing that family. So we're open <laughs> and we're waiting for a call. And some time goes by, no phone call. <laughs> and then after what seems like forever, maybe it was a month, we got a call. And they said, uh, Miss Harris, uh, we have a referral for a 16 year old female. Uh, she is <laughs> truant and she'll probably need to be at your home for about six months. Um, you know, I know you wanted little kids, but I, I just thought I would call you just to see. <laughs> and, and, uh, we were like, sure, sure. Uh, why not? You know, it wasn't what we had in mind. We were never planning on taking teenage girls, but we decided, you know, why not? While we're waiting, while we're waiting, um, we have the extra room. Let's give it a try. And, and we did. And I'm so, I'm so thankful that we did because, that 16-year-old girl set us up on a path that we never planned on taking, but opened the opportunity for so many other kids that came after her, Um, kids of all ages. We've had kids from um, birth to 21 years old. Um, We've had boys and we've had girls 
Uh, we've had kids of all different abilities, um, all different ethnic backgrounds, all different, um, you know, family dynamics, you know, so many things that we had closed our mind to with this one child, she opened our eyes to see that, that we were getting ready to do something a whole lot bigger than what we were a whole lot bigger than the plans that we had for ourselves. Um, it just set us up on a journey that we're still on here. Here it is 10 years later and, um, 70 plus kids later, whether they were with us, um, two days or, you know, now 10 years, um, it was just a, something that we never, we never saw coming. And I'm so thankful that we, that we are on this journey and in the way that, that life has taken us in the beginning, whenever my husband Daniel was diagnosed with his brain tumor. I remember it being so uncertain and we were devastated. And then, you know, we find out not long after that we would never be able to parent children together. Um, we had thought our world was ending at the time and I never in a million years ever thought we could look back and say that, that we were thankful, um, thankful for what the, you know, that the brain tumor occurred. Of course, you know, nobody wishes, nobody wishes for that. And of course we would never wish that he had a brain tumor. We would never wish that he had the bone disease and that he had to go through everything that he did. But at the same time, we look back and say, had he not, and we would have had our two children and our dog and our house in the country, we wouldn't have all the kids that we have now. And I have to stop and think, what would their lives look like? What would our life look like? Had all of these things not fallen into place when they were supposed to and how they were supposed to. And it, it's hard not to be thankful for that brain tumor, as strange as that may sound. But we are, we are thankful of the path that we're on now and the journey that we're taking. We're thankful for all the kids that we've had that are still with us, that are, are no longer with us and um, that are out there, you know, had, had this one event in our life not occurred, you know, our life could be completely different. And it's something that, that I'm looking forward to sharing <laughs> As, uh, you know, we get into these other podcasts, um, I just wanted to start at the beginning and, and just give a, give a, uh, give a picture of how we started, why we started and just set up 
all of the stories that are going to come after, um, you know, there's so many <laughs> to share. We've had adoptions and, uh, we've had all kinds of kiddos a whole lot more than what we ever expected. It's, it's turned out a whole lot differently <laughs> than, um, what we ever expected. And it's still occurring. You know, life is still going on. Uh, here we are <laughs> 2020 and, and we're still, we're still fostering these amazing little children who have turned us into the people we are today. So, you know, we're, we're so grateful, um, to share our stories with you and, and so humbled to be able to continue um, doing what we do every day. So I hope that you all will uh, continue to join us uh, every week as um, I tell you more of our story. But thanks for joining me today for this first episode of Fostering Wildflowers. <laughs>